Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Skylar and Danielle Nemitz? First, I'll look at the background of this case, move to the timeline of the crime, then offer my analysis. Tara Danielle Nemitz was born in California on January 11, 1995. She went by her middle name, Danielle. She had three siblings. Her mother died of cancer when she was two years old. She lived with her grandmother in McKinleyville, California. When she was 14 years old, her grandmother died as well. Danielle was adopted by her stepfather and lived with him until she was 17. When Danielle was in her junior year of high school, she met a young man named Skylar Nicholas Bear Nemitz. She felt as though Skylar was the love of her life and her soulmate. The couple's relationship progressed quickly. Danielle moved into the home where Skylar and his mother lived just a month after they met. Skylar enlisted in the army, and Danielle had a dream of opening a nail salon and being a star on YouTube. Danielle dropped out of high school. She married Skylar on March 7, 2013, in Columbus, Georgia, the same day he graduated from boot camp. Skylar was eventually stationed at Fort Lewis. The couple lived in off base housing in Lakewood, Washington. Danielle enrolled in a local high school and graduated in 2014. She found a job at a company that sold granite countertops as her husband continued with his Army career. Now, moving to the timeline of the crime. On October 16, 2014, Skylar completed a 19 day training mission and returned to Fort Lewis. Danielle picked him up at the base and they drove back to the apartment they shared. According to Skylar, here's what happened next. He claimed that he and his wife had sex in their spare bedroom. They both showered, talked for a bit, consumed alcohol, ate pizza, and watched television. Skylar claimed that just before 6 p.m., Danielle brought him an AR 15 rifle, which he had given to her for her birthday. Danielle asked him to put the rifle away. She was familiar with the weapon. She knew how to load it, fire it, and clean it, yet still wanted Skylar to handle the weapon. Skylar intended to unload the rifle and put it away. Danielle was sitting at her computer in the spare bedroom where Skylar was handling the rifle. Her back was towards Skylar as she worked. Skylar said that he picked up the rifle and did not pay attention to which way it was pointed. He tried to clear the weapon but did not do it correctly. The weapon discharged in his hands. The bullet traveled through the back of Danielle's head and into her computer. She did not survive. Skylar did not call 911. A neighbor contacted the police after hearing the gunshot. 
Schuyler did not make any effort to comfort or help Danielle in any way, although to be fair, there was nothing he could have done. According to Schuyler, he spent his time engaged in other activities. He dumped alcohol in the toilet, threw bottles of alcohol off his balcony, hid the magazine for the rifle under the bed, and hid the rifle in the closet. When the police arrived, they found that Danielle was dead in a chair in the spare bedroom. Schuyler was making sobbing sounds and saying, I don't know why I can't cry. Schuyler also said, it was an accident. I'm a bad man. I'm a bad man. He told another officer that he removed the magazine and was making the rifle safe, but then for some reason, he shook the rifle and it fired. He must have had a rifle equipped with the unpopular shake and fire option. This random discharging rifle shake is like a protein shake, but with more of a lead taste. This option is for a small segment of buyers who are not interested in remaining alive too long. I don't know about a shaking rifle, but Schuyler was certainly shaking the foundation of common sense. Schuyler was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. He was released on bail and placed on electronic home monitoring. His trial started in January of 2016. Schuyler was found not guilty of first-degree murder, but guilty of first-degree manslaughter. The jury also returned a special verdict on the manslaughter conviction, finding that Schuyler was armed with a firearm when he committed a crime. Schuyler Nemitz was sentenced to 102 months for the first-degree manslaughter and 60 months based on the special verdict. This was a total of 13 and a half years in prison, which was the maximum he could have received. Schuyler could be released as early as 2028 at the age of 34. Now moving to my analysis. In this case, there is no question that Schuyler shot and killed his wife. The state argued that he was guilty of first-degree murder. His defense argued that he was guilty of second-degree manslaughter. So here we see Schuyler's own defense attorney admitted to the jury that Schuyler was guilty. This means when contemplating guilt in this case, it really comes down to this question. Was Schuyler guilty of first-degree murder, second-degree murder, or only guilty of first- or second-degree manslaughter? Was this premeditated intentional murder or intentional murder without premeditation, like murder in the heat of the moment? On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present, 
If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that Schuyler was guilty of murder, starting with the inculpatory factors. Schuyler and Danielle may have had an acrimonious relationship. Danielle told a friend that Schuyler had smashed her cell phone in a fit of anger. He then rushed out to buy her a new one. On one occasion, when she was talking to a friend, she indicated that Schuyler was on the way home and she wanted to get the house ready before he arrived. She appeared to be uneasy. Schuyler sent unpleasant text messages to Danielle. For example, he once implied that she was not intelligent. Schuyler handled a rifle in the same bedroom where his wife was sitting. He disengaged the safety, pointed the rifle at his wife, and pulled the trigger. He was only five feet away when this happened. Schuyler was familiar with firearms. He had trained with firearms in the Army and owned several of them. He claimed that he was big on safety. If Danielle was familiar with the rifle, why did Schuyler need to do anything with it at all? Why did he point the weapon at his wife's head when he could have pointed it in a safe direction? The AR-15 is very easy to unload. How could he have failed at such a simple task? Why did he pull the trigger? Schuyler told the police that he must have disengaged the safety and pulled the trigger, but he conveniently did not remember doing either. After Schuyler shot and killed his wife, he disposed of alcohol that had been used to celebrate his return home, and he hid the rifle and magazine. He told the police that he flushed alcohol down the toilet, but it's more likely he was treating an injury on his finger in the bathroom. He did not attempt to comfort his wife or help her in any way after the shooting. Schuyler told a neighbor that Danielle was cleaning the rifle and accidentally shot herself. This makes it sound as though Schuyler was trying out a story, like he was attempting to come up with some way to escape responsibility, but his ideas had not come together yet. Schuyler told the police two stories about the rifle's position when it discharged. At one point, he told the police that he hit the rifle with his thigh. On another occasion, he said it was on his shoulder and not on his thigh. Schuyler indicated that the rifle went off when he shook it, but the only way the rifle could have discharged is if the trigger was pulled. The weapon was thoroughly tested, and it was in working order. Schuyler's motive for shooting his wife may have been connected to how the alcohol was obtained. He had a friend named Anthony Foss, who agreed to purchase alcohol for Schuyler and Danielle so the couple could drink it when Schuyler returned from training. As it turns out, Anthony never actually purchased the alcohol. Danielle was concerned about the alcohol not being available for Schuyler when he arrived home. Therefore, she convinced two men to go with her and buy it. One of those men was an old friend of Danielle's named Jeremy Henry. Schuyler was not a member of the Jeremy fan club. In one text message from Schuyler to Danielle, he accused her of going on a date with Jeremy. Danielle wrote back to him, quote, you have either insecurities you need to work out or you don't trust me when it comes to hanging out with Jeremy, unquote. 
Her statement does not make sense, as both assertions could be true at the same time. But either way, it's clear that Danielle's relationship with Jeremy was causing friction between her and Skylar. After arriving home, Skylar mistakenly thanked Anthony for the alcohol, only to have Anthony tell him he never bought the alcohol. Jeremy purchased the alcohol. Anthony said that Skylar was visibly angry. Skylar disposed of only the alcohol that was purchased for his return home. Other alcohol was in the house. So by getting rid of this alcohol, he wasn't trying to escape an underage drinking charge. This makes it look like Skylar disposed of the alcohol to cover up the story about his anger. He was trying to make sure the police didn't find out about his motive. Moving to the exculpatory factors, one of Skylar's friends from the army said that Skylar never saw Anthony on the day of the shooting. Anthony was the only witness who claimed that Skylar was angry that day. No one else heard any type of argument. Technically, the shooting could have been accidental. Perhaps alcohol played a role. That's pretty much it for exculpatory factors. When considering the evidence, do I think that Skylar was guilty of murder? Yes, I think he was guilty of second-degree murder beyond a reasonable doubt. I think the jury made a mistake in this case. In my opinion, they vastly overestimated the probability that the shooting was an accident. It is much more likely that Skylar intentionally pointed the rifle at his wife and intentionally pulled the trigger. His behavior after the shooting is consistent with someone who acted intentionally and was trying to avoid responsibility. For example, failing to call 911, destruction of evidence, pretending he didn't remember what happened, and other deceptive behavior. Moving to the next question, what do I think happened in this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. Danielle was an active, energetic, and outgoing young woman. She had a habit of being overly enthusiastic whenever she would date someone new. Her emotions were powerful and would get the best of her. Every new boyfriend was Prince Charming. When considering this, it's not surprising that she felt as though Skylar was the one. Danielle invested a lot of energy in the relationship. She wanted it to work. She even delayed her high school education to make sure that she could marry Skylar. The relationship between Danielle and Skylar took off very quickly because it was fueled by passion, but there was no substance to it. They really didn't know each other too well. Danielle probably realized that something was wrong in the relationship, but she was unwilling to give it up. She was excited about being a wife. Her emotions caused her to disregard warning signs, like Skylar's tendency to be controlling and jealous. At some level, Maybe she knew that Skylar was dangerous, but she falsely believed it was worth the risk. Skylar's job had him away for weeks at a time, during which Danielle would interact with other men. He was becoming increasingly jealous. He was worried that Danielle was going to take off with another man. Perhaps he felt this way because of Danielle's strong attraction to novelty. Again, every new boyfriend was a dream come true. In a sense, both Skylar and Danielle were sensation-seeking and strongly motivated by physical attraction. This meant that the relationship was intense, but it also put them at risk of finding new love interests. On the day Skylar returned home, he was angry about Danielle's interactions with Jeremy. As he consumed alcohol, he became increasingly disinhibited. He was already impulsive, and the alcohol was only making it worse. He convinced himself that Danielle was planning on leaving him, and if he could not have her, 
no one would. As she was sitting at the computer, he retrieved the AR-15 rifle and shot Danielle in the back of the head. Realizing that he was in quite a bit of trouble, he frantically tried to destroy evidence. He didn't plan to commit the murder, therefore he didn't have a believable story ready to go. He had to fabricate his story quickly. He tried to make it seem as though the shooting was accidental. When the police arrived, he tried to cry, but he wasn't really sad about his wife's death, which is why he said to them, I don't know why I can't cry. Skyler could not explain disengaging the safety or pulling the trigger. Therefore, he awarded himself the gift of unexpected memory loss. In his case, it was the gift that would keep on giving. At Schuyler's trial, the jury was not impressed with him. They thought his testimony sounded coached, and he was unconvincing. They were able to see through his arrogance and flippant attitude. But even still, they were not positive that he acted intentionally. Acting out of an abundance of caution, the jury only found him guilty of manslaughter. Schuyler was very fortunate given the evidence. It appears as though he escaped any meaningful penalty for his actions. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.